It's simply because we're not talking to each other. And so, so often, right, I, I feel like the skepticism of, of partners wanting to bring something to Microsoft because they feel like they're competing with Microsoft. And the reality is, is 95 plus percent of the time, we don't believe that we're competing with, with one of our partners. We just don't realize that that partner happens to be in the account. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Navigating Microsoft to achieve your greatest results. I find that Microsoft partners get stuck focused on a single point of contact to get the results they desire working with the tech giant. In this episode of the podcast, we help you better understand the untapped opportunity to work more closely with the teams closest to the customer, Microsoft's Customer Success Unit. My guest for this episode is a Microsoft leader on a mission to drive customer success leading a team of several hundred client success account managers. David Lockridge is the GM of the Client Success Unit for Microsoft Financial Services. I've known David for over a decade, and he is an amazing leader who has risen from individual contributor to leading this massive organization. More importantly, David exudes empathy, character, and compassion for his people and his customers. He is also one of the most partner-centric people I know. I hope you enjoy and learn from this interview as much as I enjoyed welcoming David Lockridge. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years, and PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. I'm so excited to have them on board. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Vince. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to finally welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the general manager of the Client Success Unit for Microsoft's financial services business. That's a mouthful. And we've known each other for several years, going on a decade. Glad to have you here today. Yeah. Like I said, Vince, really excited to be here. And it has been over a decade. I think we first met around 2010 when I rejoined Microsoft running our HP Alliance. And geez, I remember that like it's yesterday. I know. It's crazy. As you know, I interview guests from Microsoft's partner business here to help partners better understand how to achieve their greatest results working with the tech giant how to navigate Microsoft, in fact. But partners often overlook that there are other avenues, there are other ways to engage with Microsoft, and they get stuck. And your organization is just so important 
to success for partners and for customers. I was hoping maybe you could spend a few moments explaining your role and mission to our listeners. I'd be happy. As you mentioned, right, I head up our customer success organization for our U.S. financial services segment. I've been in this role now about two and a half years, and the role itself has been around for about four and a half years uh, is when we started up the customer success group. Our mission and the, the mission has evolved a bit, but we are really focused on enabling our customers to innovate and realize value by accelerating the adoption of Microsoft solutions to transform their business, and for my business specifically, transforming the financial services industry. And so the way in which we do that is my organization is made up of a variety of roles. For those listening that are familiar with, with Microsoft and the Microsoft sort of vernacular, we've got workload leaders across our major workload pillars. So I've got someone in my business that's responsible for our modern work business, someone responsible for our infrastructure business, data and AI, security, and business applications. And in those groups, we've got a set of technical engineers, what we call customer engineers. In some cases, we've got cloud solution architects on our Azure pillars. And then we also have folks that are more business focused, what we call customer success managers that really are focused on business transformation, change management, and end user adoption of our SaaS platforms like Teams and Dynamics. In addition, Microsoft, about two years ago, actually a year and a half ago, we created a new role. We essentially retired this role, this concept of a technical account manager that sat in as part of our support organization. And we've evolved that role to be a customer success account manager. And that role is really responsible for the overall success from a support delivery health and execution perspective, all the way through to orchestrating resources that span both Microsoft and external folks, including partners for making sure that we are aligning programs and projects that map to the customer's top initiatives. This is so important because when I was a leader at Microsoft, we just would have the account executives and then we'd have consulting services and clients had to go figure it out by themselves. And with the evolution to the cloud, I think this role was created because clients really needed to understand how to embrace the technology transformation that was happening. Absolutely, Vince. And Microsoft, quite frankly, we, we needed to modernize our approach. And for, for those that have been around the Microsoft ecosystem and environment for a while, Microsoft used to be really good at selling enterprise agreements to our customers and then showing up three years later and asking for a renewal. And that model does not work in a cloud world, right? The way in which both Microsoft and ultimately, and most importantly, our customers are realizing value from their relationship with Microsoft is by actually using the cloud services. And so it's really changed our model and almost flipped it upside down where there used to be such a heavy emphasis on that account executive or even the account technology strategist. Half of our segment is made up of my organization. So of the roughly 900 plus people in US financial services, over 500 of them sit in my organization today. So there's a huge emphasis and focus for how do we actually change the paradigm for helping our, our clients be successful. So your team really surrounds the customer, right? So if I, for our listeners and partners that are listening right now, may or may not understand part of this is that there's an account exec that works with the client on the execution of business strategy and product evolution and adoption. And they're supported by the STU, which they have SSPs or solution specialists that are focused on those workloads. But once they become a client, an ongoing client, 
your team embraces and wraps around them. Is that the way it works? It's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And the partnership that we have internally with the stew or the specialist is really critical, especially as you think about those Azure and cloud workloads, where the specialist might be working with the customer or client to help identify workloads and what workloads they either want to migrate or applications that they want to build to help them transform their business. Once that sort of gets validated, our architects and our customer engineers really come into play to help bring that to life and bring that to a stage of where the customer is ultimately realizing value around that solution. So this is an area where I think a lot of partners get tripped up. The sale, and I work quite a bit with ISV solutions, right? Third-party solutions that are line of business solutions. And they may come after the initial sale or after the, the initial workload is the evolution is happening. And it's maybe your team that's more involved with the client at that point. So I want our listeners to better understand that. Like, how did, first of all, how did the role come about? And how are you organized? How is the team organized to measure success? Like, how are they measured? Really important kind of concept to make sure uh, I think people understand in terms of how the customer success organization is incentivized and measured you know, for success. So I mentioned a few roles uh, just earlier. So that first one, that, that customer success account manager, as I mentioned, they're accountable for the overall support delivery health of that customer. So they need to make sure that support agreement that the customer owns. We fulfill our commitments as it relates to that agreement, which include a lot of proactive services. In addition, though, incidents come up and we need to also make sure we're providing a great experience from a reactive support perspective. And so customer health and customer sat is a component of that. But the main measurements outside of that piece all are related to consumption and active usage. So that customer success account manager is incented to ensuring that customers are accelerating their their use of of Azure and measured through a Microsoft lens in terms of ACR. In addition, for customers that are using our Teams platform or have Dynamics, they're measured on the active usage of those platforms and looking for ways to expand it. The point you mentioned just about ISVs. So I mentioned we've got pillars for each of our workloads. In our modern work pillar, our customer success managers, the CSMs, that are highly focused on Teams platform and, and meetings usage. Like their need to work with partners is critical. One of the things that we our teams realize is that before we get to a customer deploying Teams, there's a whole lot of additional work that needs to be considered. Is their network ready? Is the infrastructure ready? And very often, like that's not work that's being performed by my team. That work very often is being performed by partners out there that have both the scale and the expertise for helping those customers ready the environment and modernize the environment so that they can begin to move M365 and specifically teams into their world. As part of that as well, those customer success managers are compensated on what we call platform. And so very intentionally, right, we are trying to help customers understand the value that they can receive by really viewing Teams as a platform. And the way in which we're measuring that is we're looking at the ISV applications that are being exposed and used through Teams. And so those CSMs are highly incented to be working with our Teams partners that are working on solutions that can be exposed through Teams. And, and we see what we see is huge, a huge increase in stickiness and retention of that of teams when customers are recognizing the value beyond just using it for, for meeting and collaboration through instant messaging, but instead are really looking to embrace how do they expose service now, for example, through teams and having a highly collaborative environment with that ISV solution combined with the power of what teams brings. 
And are you measuring it against uh, monthly active usage? Is that your measurement? That's correct. Yeah. All measured through monthly active usage. It's fascinating. So there's certainly a partner lens here that needs to be exposed. This is why I felt it was so important to have you come here today, David. And listen, I think we've got a lot of work to do. And and I hope the opportunity here to sort of expose the customer success unit to your audience will also open up the eyes of our partners to understand the importance and opportunity to work with the CSU or customer success organization. So you came Back to Microsoft, you've been in the partner world. You were in partner roles, I think, first at Microsoft, then came back to Microsoft several years ago, 10 years ago. And so you've got a great understanding of this whole role of partners. Can you tell our listeners what lessons that you've learned or brought into this role? So some of the lessons that I've learned along the way is that there's several. What I recognize very often, if you don't know about a partner working in an account or know if Microsoft's working in the account, it's simply because we're not talking to each other. And so, so often, right, I, I feel like the skepticism of, of partners wanting to bring something to Microsoft because they feel like they're competing with Microsoft. And the reality is, is 95 plus percent of the time, we don't believe that we're competing with, with one of our partners. We just don't realize that that partner happens to be in the account. And by actually making that connection, there's probably an opportunity to align that partner solution and or services to what we are trying to achieve with that customer. And so just the basics around getting teams to be open and communicate with each other, build that trust, and then really look for kind of shared opportunity for how they help solve that customer's problem together. So that importance of of making that connection and not just making the assumption that Microsoft is there to compete with our partners is, is an important lesson, I think, to learn. The second thing is, while I get why people always default to the account executive, the account executive understands the most about the customer from a broad relationship perspective. They've got a clear view in terms of the priorities that they're trying to align with that customer in which Microsoft can help. But the value and the roles within, I believe, the CSU are are really just, it's an overlooked set of, of roles. I mentioned that customer success account manager role. And again, a lot of the folks that we've gotten enrolled today had traditionally come from our role called the technical account manager. I've got a technical account manager that has transformed to that CSAM role who's been on one of our large global banking customers for over 20 years. So you, you, want, to, you're right, you want to talk about someone who's got trusted level advisor relationships, who really understands the inner workings of how that global bank works, has seen the evolution and the aspiration of what that customer is trying to achieve from a transformation standpoint. I don't know that there's a better suited individual from Microsoft than that customer success account manager in that account to be able to gain some insights and or even help influence the customer to consider a partner within that account. And so that, that lesson of, of really understanding beyond the account manager that there's lots of other roles at Microsoft to engage with and, and understanding like who to engage with based on your solution and or the timing of how you're trying to work with Microsoft and that customer becomes really critical. Yeah, I think people overlook the complexity. First of all, the complexity of the AE role and how broad and the scope of that role is for the customer. And then the seats at the table, like you talked about this individual that's 20 years in role, right? They're, they play such a key role in terms of the influence strategy with that client and understanding how to work across your organization and the partner organization and the account organization at the same time. It's so critical to success for partners. Absolutely. You've been around partnering for a long time. 
What attributes do you look for in partners to work with you and your team? It's a great question. And hopefully this guidance is helpful for, for your listeners out there. There's a lot of partners that uh, there's a lot of Microsoft partners, Vince. And so sometimes the difficult thing is, is sifting through all of the noise in terms of what that partner brings. And so the, the guidance I give partners, in addition to my day job leading customer success for financial services, I also sponsor a number of our partners within our financial services business. And the guidance that I give those partners, and by the way, it's a variety of partners from some really large global system integrators down through smaller niche system integrators and solution providers that are focused on the financial services space. And the guidance that I give them is, is the following. One is get really clear about what you want to be known for and that you're great at. Because very often partners will show up and, and talk about their whole portfolio of potential capabilities. And unfortunately, it becomes too difficult to navigate and, and understand like, when do I think about this partner? What, what are the easy sort of ways to box this partner in to an area of when I hear or see this, that's who I should go to. Yep. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Matt? Yeah. So I was just going to say, this is so critical to success for partners. And I coach them on this all the time that you need to stand out for that one thing that you do best, that you do differently. Because as you mentioned, these even the, from the large to the small boutique, they have so many capabilities and they try to go across the broad spectrum as opposed to saying, this is the one thing I do best. This is one, one thing I do better than anyone. I think that's right on. I think you've got a term for it about like sort of the shiny nickel in a, in a bucket of shiny nickels. <laughs> the shiny quarter and the bucket full of shiny quarters. That's the one I like. You up the currency, right? Yes. But yes, the shiny quarter syndrome. That, that's right. Even through the customer lens, which is partners who have this uh, potentially massive pipeline that's covering our entire segment, probably isn't the best way to get started either. And especially for partners where they might not have a strong working relationship with our field, regardless of uh, maybe their customer success on our platform and or client list within our segment. You know, and instead, what I ask them to do is let's get clear on just a handful of clients to get started. By having that focus at both sort of solution area or what that partner is best known for, combined with getting some traction initially with a couple of clients, for me, it is the best way to get started. And once we start to have success, that success begins to spread pretty quickly. So how would a partner do that? Would they meet with you and the team? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so it... it I could certainly start with me and the team. Or sometimes, for example, if we know, for example, and just using this Teams platform example, if there's an ISV that's got a solution on Teams that's going to drive our platform active usage, being able to meet with my leader that runs that business, very often it starts with sometimes just an overview of, of their offering to his team and organization. And then that followed by identifying a few accounts that make sense to go after and allowing that to be a bit iterative, right? Like whether the partner, and I always encourage the partner to bring a few accounts to the table to get things started. But where this works really well is once our team understands what problem that that solution can solve, them also coming up with ideas of potential accounts. And just agreeing on a, on a few accounts where ideally the partner ISV has got some, some momentum in the account and it is a pro-friendly Microsoft account. I think it, it can be very difficult to start a partnership where there's an imbalance there in those relationships, right? I think it's really tough for Microsoft to be able to pull along a solution where the, the solution's got no credibility with the customer or the industry yet. And vice versa, right? Where it's not a pro Microsoft account, it might be really tough to try to get started in a partnership by having 
that partner ISV try to help Microsoft gain traction or adoption in, in the account. So looking for those where there's both a positive relationship to get started and to try to get some quick wins under our belt before we try some of the more more difficult tasks of, of bringing each other into to places where we don't have strength. Come to the table with, hey, these are the customers or the prospects we're working on today. This is where we help remove roadblocks or drive mutual outcomes, positive outcomes, and then deciding where to work together. And not always come to the table expecting back. Like I find that partners overestimate Microsoft's ability to go impact new business for them versus going in and seeing where we could clear the trees out is the way I would refer to it here and align and go drive new business or drive business together and maybe a mutual account. That's right on. Absolutely. And what I find is the last piece of, of advice that I give, and certainly for the partners that I sponsor, is you need to put some operational rigor in place. So you need to establish a cadence for how we are reviewing the progress we're making in those initial accounts. And ultimately, as the relationship matures, really thinking through what does success look like around this partnership with Microsoft and in my case, in U.S. financial services. And I, I challenge ourselves and the partner to think through what, what would a great year look like together? What does that mean for you as the partner in terms of maybe your revenue or customer ads, as well as from Microsoft? And that lens could vary based on the solution area, right? whether that's measured in ACR or net new wins from a Teams meeting or platform perspective or dynamics wins or active usage. And again, it might vary based on the partner and or where we are with the maturity of, of that relationship. You're speaking my language, right? Because I advise these organizations on getting crisp in terms, hey, where are we going to go together? What's that going to look like at the beginning of the year? What objectives? What are the results we want to go drive? And then, as you said, like that rhythm and cadence that says, okay, this is what we've done together. This is where we're seeing success. These are areas, by the way, where we need to do a little bit more work. And then I'll say it candid and a diplomatic way, maybe even aggressive in terms of the conversation to say, this is what we need to go do, do differently together. Completely agree with that. You've got 500 people at a massive organization it's grown to. If they want to work with you and your team, what's the best way for them to reach out? We've got those enterprise channel managers, which candidly are, are really great at, at helping to help filter and, and actually do some of that work that I just talked about, which is getting really clear about what the offering is and like where it fits in with our organization. So I always feel like those ECMs are great conduits into the FSI organization and or if for those partners out there with a PDM, you know, very often they will connect directly with us as well. Once they reach out, right, if you were they were to reach out to me directly, I would probably quickly sort of filter them out based on where their specialty is by workload and get them connected with one of my leaders or one of the managers on their team that might be taking lead for the partners that they work with. And then as I mentioned, right, just going through it and being proactive in terms of, hey, we've got a solution we think are great for a set of customers. There's a few we've got an active dialogue. We'd love to connect with the folks in your team that are responsible for those customers and see how we might work together to accelerate the adoption of our services or, or technology, as well as accelerate the adoption and stickiness of, if I'm picking on the Teams example again, of Teams platform, for example. So the leaders on your team are probably the, the first line in terms of whether it's modern work, data and AI, infrastructure, and the like. No, that, that's right. And that's the lens through a workload perspective. I, I think the other angle here that we talked about, and it's relevant, I think, for a variety of partner types, but is also tapping into that customer success account manager organization we call CSAMs. And they are mapped and aligned in a very similar fashion as our account executives. 
So I've got a leader for each of our verticals in financial services, one for capital markets, one for insurance, and one for banking. And their managers and their organizations map to our ATU structure. And so again, when I think about the role of the customer success account manager, they're, they're aligned with the account executive's vision around the priorities and the customer's vision around the priorities that they're, they're trying to achieve with, with their customer. That customer success account manager is then putting together programs. And those programs are programs of, they could be assessments and or other offerings that the customer can take advantage of based on the support agreement that they have in place. We also recognize that if the customer is going through a big exchange migration and moving to exchange online, for example, there's likely going to be other parties involved, either Microsoft Consulting or a system integrator. And again, I think there's a real opportunity there to think about how that customer success account manager is thinking about partners as part of that program build out and making sure that if a SI is in there to, to do that exchange migration work, understanding how Microsoft can help support that. Are there additional things that Microsoft can do to augment that, that implementation work with our customer engineering organization? Maybe there's even some work that can be done with our Microsoft consulting group to bring some real subject matter expertise to that project team to ensure success. But that customer success account manager is all about how do we, they ensure success around that program and project build out and the delivery of that with a lens on how do they ultimately get the customer realizing value around those cloud platforms. And so there's that angle there too around not only just workload lens, but there's some key accounts that, for example, a system integrator is involved in getting to that leader and identifying who the customer success account manager, what we call a CSAM, is for that account, I think is equally important as to understanding who the account executive. Yeah. And I think that's overlooked so much by partners. So again, just the great tip here is that when you're having these conversations with your partner development manager, your enterprise channel person, whoever it is you're working with Microsoft is to not overlook this area, this role, and the engagement here with this team. That's right. And I think there's such a huge opportunity in our segment in particular. The momentum that we're seeing in U.S. financial services is significant. And what I can share with you is, is in U.S. financial services, like we are growing at a much faster pace than even the rest of Microsoft. And so our customers are ripe to transform and make you know, significant commitments for how they're thinking about moving to Microsoft's cloud. And that all starts with some really hard work that needs to go on up front that we rely on our partners for. Thinking about the landing zone and governance models that need to be put in place. Again, thinking about how do they ready their infrastructure all the way down through even their devices that they're enabling their employees, making sure that they're modernized to a point of where they can fully take advantage of, of all of the cloud platform capabilities that Microsoft can bring for them. Such a partner-centric organization. That's one of the things, I, I don't know if it gets overlooked at times, but Microsoft comes at it from the lens of bring the partners along, partner-first approach to doing the business. So, David, you might know that I'm fascinated with how people got to this spot in their career. And you have got a pretty big deal going on at Microsoft. I mean, you've got a really big role, 500 people in your organization. And I knew you from the day you came back to Microsoft. <laughs> I've grown up a little since then, Vince. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to see. And we've been friends for a long time, full disclosure. We follow each other on Facebook and Instagram and other places. And I've gotten to see your family grow up, your beautiful family grow up. But I was hoping for our listeners, especially those early in career that are trying to understand how to get to a spot in their career. Can you take us through, was, like, was there a pivot point or a spark that set you off in this direction to this amazing career trajectory? 
Yeah. And, and it probably started in 2008 when, after being at Microsoft for a few years, I made the decision to leave and I didn't go far. I went to a Microsoft funded startup the company was called Enterprise Mobile and got this opportunity to be their vice president of business development and got to build out the indirect channel, build out a whole set of the whole partner ecosystem for that organization. And that company was really focused on being an enterprise, helping to create an enterprise channel for at the time, Windows Mobile. So it was really an exciting opportunity that I got to be on the ground floor at. And it's probably where I really learned the most about partners and the indirect channel business. But the reason for that decision was I kind of, at the time, had felt stuck at Microsoft. And it was a valuable lesson that I learned after the fact. Up until joining Microsoft, a lot of my career was based on following leaders to their next job and getting a phone call asking me if I'd like to come join them. And whether that was to go be a rep or open up a region for them or whatever that might be, that was the first several years, first eight or nine years of my career. And when I made that decision to leave Microsoft for the two years that I, I was gone, what changed for me was I realized that I needed to be more deliberate in my career. I was largely fulfilling others' ambitions, uh, fulfilling a role that they needed. And we had a good relationship and I had some proven track record and success that so they brought me over to help fulfill their vision and goal of what they were trying to achieve. And so it was a real pivot point for me around getting deliberate in my career. Long story short, we blew through a lot of Microsoft's money and I got an opportunity to come back to Microsoft as we prepared to sell that company and got this really exciting opportunity to run the largest alliance in the technology industry at the time, which was the Hewitt Packard and Microsoft Frontline Partnership, which was awesome. And from there, as I thought about my career, I think a lot of people think about sort of specific jobs or roles next. And I'm not saying that that's a wrong approach, but my approach has been slightly different, which is really thinking about my long-term aspiration and the legacy I, I want to leave. And so I've got aspirations to do much bigger things than even what I'm doing here today, Vincent. And the way I think about my steps along the way has been much more about the experiences that I'm looking to gain. And I've got in my plan a list of a lot of experiences that I'm really interested in gaining throughout my career that sets me up for hopefully a really significant job where I leave a lasting legacy for the customers, employees, and, and people around me that I serve. And so I begin to prioritize those experiences on what's most important based on where I am in my life, what I think is, is required next to take maybe the next move or the move after that, and then begin to work through what are the competencies and gaps that I might have that I can get through that I can gain some experience around through mentorship or through training or through some job shadowing or stretch assignments. And so what it's led for me is a really diverse set of experiences here at Microsoft. So going from running our HP Alliance to going into the field and, and being part of the stew, running our core infrastructure and mobility business, managing and leading people. I then moved into an ATU manager role and got to manage some of our global customers out of the New York area. I then looked at industry and saw where Microsoft was going in terms of focusing deeper on industry and thought there was a tremendous opportunity being based in the New York area to really get involved with our financial services segment, which I did a handful of years ago. And in running a business that was a difficult business that we're really looking at as our next tri triple digit growth engine, which is our dynamics business. And so I had an opportunity to, to do that and grow my leadership and management experience of managing uh, managers. And then when this role opened up, I just I looked at where Microsoft was making investments. I see the transformation that's occurring in this industry overall and had a belief that customer success 
is really the future for Microsoft in terms of the organizations that we're investing in and building out. And so I've been on this ride now for two and a half years. I started in this role where we just had really cloud solution architects in that CSM role for our SaaS platforms. And uh, a year and a half ago, we increased the size of the organization significantly, right? So I've grown the org from 120 people to now over 500. And it's been a wild ride. A wild ride. What's an exciting time too? I mean, we talk about the fact that every organization is becoming a tech organization. It's the most visible in the fintech and financial services world because you're seeing the old brick and mortar banks go away. You're seeing technology really drive the future success. Yeah. And even our largest global banks, right? They view themselves as technology companies and they're going through this transformation. Their aspiration, the aspiration is there. I think the reality is that they're dealing with, they're dealing with tech debt and some real legacy infrastructure that they recognize needs to be modernized. And they need to do that in a balanced way to be able to get to some of these real transformational and innovative. We're seeing it in these last two years, especially the two years since the lockdown. Everything we do has transformed our lives, our work, our learning, how we bank, how we shop. And we're never going to go back. That's for sure. Yeah, it's amazing to, to, to see the transformation that's occurred in financial services over the past two years. And, in, and we're not going back, right? It's only, the momentum's only continuing to build. Such an exciting time for partners to get on board and work with David Lockridge and the team. Absolutely. Listen, we, we need the help, right? When we think about the scale of this business and the pace at which we're growing, we're not going to do it just through organic hiring more cloud architects and CSMs, right? It, it, the scale here needs to come through working with, with our partners. And partners understand the line of business better than anyone. So let's have a little fun. This is my favorite question. I love to ask these questions in particular. And you and I were talking about COVID and Omicron and hopefully getting back out again. And I was wondering if you were hosting a dinner party, right? And we're hopefully doing this in person beyond masks or beyond where we are right now. And you can invite any three guests to this amazing dinner party from the present or the past. Who would you invite to this dinner party and why? Gosh, I feel like I need to have a lot of dinner parties because there'd be a lot, of, a lot of different guests I'd love to bring together. And Vince, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, really honest with you here. I'm going to plagiarize a little bit from a conversation that I had with my 13-year-old daughter. And as you may know, I've got... Uh, a 15-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter. And we have a lot of these discussions in the morning over breakfast before she heads out to the bus stop. It's like my one time a day of where I can have like real conversation and connection with her, it seems like. Nice. And we were actually talking about this, this topic of like people that we'd want to meet with and, and why. And so I think the coolest dinner would be to give my daughter an opportunity. So I invite my daughter, Kate, to have dinner with Michelle Obama and Michaela Schifrin. And for those of you the podcast that might not know, Michaela Schifrin is, uh, is a um, two-time Olympic gold medalist, but we see her on most Sundays. Uh, we're a big skiing family, as you may know, Vince. And uh, very often on our car ride back from Vermont to Connecticut on a Sunday afternoon, we're catching up on the World Cup racing. And Michaela is, is just such an inspiration for us to watch right now. She's going to catch up to, to Lindsey Vaughn probably next year in terms of having the most World Cup uh, wins. But right now in particular, like she's got this competitor, Petra Volova, who is just at her heels. 
Michaela has gone through some some challenging times with the loss of her father. So it's just, it's always an exciting thing to do on Sunday after very often we're coming back from a ski race for my daughter or son and driving back from Vermont back into reality and Connecticut and getting ready for the week. And so I just think Michaela has got such inspiration for us and some of her thoughts in terms of how to get to be where she is in terms of being a world-class competitor. And then just thinking about Michelle Obama, we've, we've talked a lot about her recent book and becoming and um, try to give my daughter guidance and the strength as, as she's growing up in this world and hopefully coming into an environment in the working world of where she really can be successful and achieve her ambitions. So I'd love to have dinner with, with those three women. Such an amazing dinner party. I'll have to stop by. And normally I'd stop by for a glass of wine, but given that we have your daughter and some athletes, I don't know, we might be drinking some Gatorade or something, but. <laughs> yeah, whatever it might be. I don't know. We could crack open a bottle of wine. Vincent, for you and I. Yeah. You and I can have the bottle of wine. Is that okay? Michelle might have a glass as well. Michelle Obama might have a glass with us. Well, this has been wonderful, David. I so enjoyed it getting back together with you. I so enjoyed having you here as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. For our listeners, our partners that want to learn how to achieve their greatest results, any final closing words for them? I feel like we covered a lot on this podcast today. And I would just say Microsoft, is, as Vince often talks about, right? we are a, a partner-centric, partner-first organization. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. So getting clear about, about what your specialization in, what helps set you apart amongst being that shiny quarter in a bucket of shiny quarters, I think is really critical. And then working the organization to get to the right folks to figure out how we can go do something together to go drive customer success. So great, David. So great to have you here. So great to see you enroll and the trajectory of your career. Thanks again for joining Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Yeah, thanks, Vince. And it's, it's great to see you from afar as well. And I love that this podcast series that you've launched. Now it seems like several years ago, right? And I know you've gone through some iterations of it. So great to connect with you here today on the podcast. Thanks so much. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.